Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Deja vu all over again. We're in Mark chapter 7, 24 to 30. It's deja vu all over again. Who who said that? Casey Stegall? Yogi Vera. <laughs> It was close. It was a New York, a New York guy. Joe Guevara said it first. At that time, he was a player, and that's when um, uh, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris were hitting back-to-back home runs over and over and over again in the early 60s. So he, kept, he became over that saying, it's deja vu all over again. But have you ever had that feeling that it's deja vu again? Have you ever had that feeling? I got it last week. I was preaching about the guy who hit his head on the tree, for those who are here, and right after that, Marine came up to me. Is Marine here? I didn't see her. She's probably from this. She came up and she had a big lump on her head. She walked into a tree just be, before, just that week. So <laughs> she was like, I really appreciate your story. I, I think Gabe had something to do with it, really. But I, I'm not going to name any names. But anyway, she's out hiking and walked into a tree. So uh, deja vu all over again. Well, this is the, that's the same thing. You're walking and all of a sudden, poof, you hit something. Like, Whoa, what? What? Where did this come from? That's the whole deja vu thing. And you feel like you've seen this or heard this or done this before. I get this reading the Bible all the time. All the time. Reading, reading through the Bible. And you know why? There's a good reason for it. Because God planned deja vus all over the Bible. Everything in the New Testament, everything in the New Testament has a thread back to the Old Testament. Did you know that? Everything. Every teaching of Jesus has a kernel back in the Old Testament. Everything. In fact, I was reading a, a, a rabbi one time, and he was criticizing Jesus. And he was saying, Jesus wasn't revolutionary in his article. He didn't come up with anything original. Anything Jesus is teaching, I could find it in the Old Testament. And I remember thinking, exactly! <laughs> exactly! He wasn't trying to come up with anything new. He was trying to, you know, bring, make explicit what was implicit in the Old Testament. He, he came to fulfill the Old Testament. Exactly! And there are many, they're called types. We call them types in, in seminary school in the, in the Bible. Uh, a type is, remember we were in the book of Joshua years ago? We saw many, many types. A type is an Old Testament picture with a New Testament reality. It's, it's really a physical picture that God gives us in the Old Testament that's, that's fulfilled spiritually in the New Testament. And it's to prepare us for Jesus. It's to prepare us for the Messiah. Uh, C.S. Lewis, when he did the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a lot of people don't know this, but he wrote that to prepare children. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is all about Jesus. The whole Chronicles of Narnia is. It's all about that. That's why I love these movies out, you know, being made about the Chronicles of Narnia. But it's all a picture of the Bible. And he said he wrote this because he wanted children to, when they, when they read the Chronicles of Narnia, put spiritual pictures in their mind so that when they f- heard the gospel, they would connect the dots. And it wouldn't be hard to understand who Jesus was because they already know Aslan and they already saw what he did. And, that was what, and that's really what the Old Testament does too. It gives us pictures so that when Jesus came and fulfilled them, it, it was for the Jewish people and for all of us who read the Old Testament, it's a picture that is fulfilled with Jesus. That's the whole point. In Mark seven twenty four to 30 has several types, as we're going to see. It's just full of them. Today's just the intro. Come back next week. Next week we're going to go into depth on this passage, but we can't really fully understand this passage here in Mark 
and appreciate it until we look at the types in the Old Testament. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the worship and the way you've touched our hearts already and prepared our hearts. And now we pray that your spirit would speak to us through your word and open our eyes and open our hearts and open our minds to the truth of Jesus Christ and what he means to us. We pray for your mercy and grace to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Mark 7. This is what we're up to. And we'll read the passage starting off with verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the little children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Powerful passage. Don't miss next week. It's going to be uh, a wild, wild passage. But it has a very clear Old Testament type. Find the Old Testament type to this story. I'll give you a hint. There's a widow involved. Nobody. Oh, you guys got to do better in your homework here. Okay. Uh, No big money prizes today. Uh, So, 1 Kings 17. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 17. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. All right, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, and there are many, many types. This is a picture of the story of Jesus. Did you know that? In fact, let's start looking at some of them. First of all, First Kings 17, verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in, in the next few years except at my word. So we see that Elijah starts out with prophesying a severe drought to the evil king Ahab. And Elijah is a type of Jesus Christ. Now, I know he's also a picture of John. Several different people have multiple types. They can fulfill different uh, people prophetically, but he's also a picture of Jesus. I, he was a forerunner of John the Baptist, but his miracles are the picture. His prophetic ministry was a picture of John the Baptist, but his miracles were fulfilled by Jesus. John didn't do any miracles, remember? Uh, John the Baptist, no miracles. It says that in the book of John. But Jesus fulfilled the miracles. The types are the miracles of Jesus. In Elijah, the word means my God is Jehovah. Eli, Jah. My God is Jehovah. And that's a picture of Jesus in many ways. Jesus said, who is he? I am. Jesus claimed to be Jehovah. Claimed to be God in the flesh, right? And there's no father mentioned. Notice this. They mentioned where Elijah is from, but there's no father mentioned, which is very, very rare of a prophet or anybody in the Old Testament, the Father is almost always mentioned. But even though it's unusual, there's no accident because he's a picture, once again, of Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't have a human father. 
Also, remember that Elijah didn't die. He went up to heaven in the fiery chariot, right? He went up to heaven in the fiery chariot. Jesus didn't stay dead. He ascended up into heaven in view of everybody. It's all pictures. There's no accidents in the Bible. No accidents. This is a wild story. I'm going to read a few more parts of it here. God sends Elijah, and this is a whole year's worth I could take of this, but God sends Elijah to a brook in Kareth. The ravens bring him food, and he has the water in this little brook. It's a miracle, miraculously supplied. But then in verses 7 to 9, let's look at this here. He says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So, he is sent here to protect Elijah. Now get this. To protect Elijah from Ahab. Ahab's trying to kill him. God sends him out of Israel to Zarephath, which is in Sidon. We come up to the New Testament, to Mark chapter 7, and Jesus' life is also in danger. He just faced the Pharisees and put them in their place and call them hypocrites, and they're planning to kill him. We've been talking about this, but it's not his time yet. So God leads him to Tyre. Well, where's the connection there? Well, if we look at Matthew 15, which is a parallel passage to Mark 7, we see that he, he went to Tyre and Sidon. It's the same place. God leads his son out of Israel into heathen, Gentile, Tyre and Sidon, the same thing he did with Elijah. It's the same picture, same thing. And we also see that he sent, Elijah sent to a widow in chapter 17, 1 Kings 17. In Mark 7, it must be a widow because if it wasn't a widow, who would be there too? The husband. Have to be there. In that culture, no woman would go out without her husband and no woman would approach Jesus without her husband. There, so there was no husband there. It was obviously a, a widow also. And not just to any widow... But both widows, heathen, Gentile widows. Very, very significant that both of them were Gentile widows living in a heathen territory because King Ahab and the Israelites had rejected Jehovah God, which is why Elijah was sent away from Israel. And the Pharisees and their followers had rejected God's son. It's all the same pictures. And it's also significant that in Luke chapter 4, 25 to 26, after Jesus was rejected in Nazareth by his hometown, remember that story? After he's rejected, what did he say to them? He referred to the widow of Zarephath. It was a prediction. That's the same idea there. It's a, and another interesting parallel. The widow and her son in 1 Kings 17 were starving to death. If you know the story... But Elijah, look at verse 14, he says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Miraculous that she had bread from then on, because Elijah was there. The jar never emptied. And so they're starving, and, and there's a, a supply of bread. And as we already read in Mark chapter 7... This woman is begging, this widow woman is begging Jesus for spiritual crumbs. Spiritual bread that God supplies miraculously. Now I want to look at 1 Kings 17, starting with verse 17, 17 to 24, because it really gets wild here, the connection with Jesus. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. So this woman has one son. 
He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Wow. Some people say, well, the kid was just cold, and he got on top of him and warmed him up, and, you know, listen, the kid, the kid was dead. It's clear from the, from the scripture, he's dead. This is a, a powerful miracle. And here's some pictures here. Let's parallel Jesus again. The great need of both women brought them to Elijah and Jesus with a desperate plea. Both had lost a child, one to death and one to demon possession, which is worse than death. And both had their children, their child, miraculously healed and restored. And both had their faith impacted in a powerful way, which we're going to see next week. And look at how Elijah revived the child. Three times laid on top of the kid. It's another picture of Jesus Christ. In verse 21, another picture of Jesus Christ. It's how Jesus touched us. Jesus came down to us in human form. He totally identified with us. God in human form. And another picture of this, there's several types of this healing. In 2 Kings, I want to look at 2 Kings because it even brings out more of this part of it. In 2 Kings 4, verses 32 to 37, we're going to look at Elisha now. Elisha. Elisha is another type of Jesus Christ. Elijah was in 1 Kings. Elisha is in 2 Kings. You put the two together, Elijah means my father is Jehovah. Elisha means my father is salvation. You, you, you put these two together and you have a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in human form who came to save us. Okay? And before I read this passage, I'm going to mention this too. Elijah, forerunner, and this is a little tricky, Elijah, forerunner of John the Baptist, and he anoints Elisha. John the Baptist anoints Jesus. Elisha asked for a double anointing, more power, which he got. Jesus had the, the double anointing of John. He could do miracles, which John couldn't do. And it's, it, but it's a picture here of both prophets together, though, also picture Jesus, especially the miracles they do. They both picture Jesus Christ. If you combine Elijah and Elisha, God in human, Jesus is God in human form who came to save us. Many miracles. It's a picture of Jesus. 
So just keep in mind when you're studying Elijah and Elisha, you're seeing miracles that they do are precursors of miracles that Jesus is going to do. Wait till we look at Jesus feeding the 4,000. We're going to see, I'm connecting the dots again already, okay? But let me read the passage here because it's wild. Remember the story we just read. Now remember this one. When Elisha reached the house, there was a boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call to the Shunammite. And he did. When she came in, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Now you're like, why is he doing all these weird things to revive the kid? Why not just, you know, tap him on the forehead, you know? Why did God have him do these bizarre healing rituals? There's a reason for it. It's a prophetic picture of what Jesus Christ is going to do, which he did do. It's a prophetic picture. The method of healing, the method of healing is a picture. Just as the name Elijah and Elisha together represent Jesus Christ, God coming in the, Jehovah coming in the flesh to save us, the method of healing is a picture of what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to touch us. He came to totally identify with us. Eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hands to hand, body to body. He came in human form. It's a picture. And also another important point, and we can't miss this. Why he didn't just lay the staff on or speak a word? We can't miss this. Why was it, what is so shocking about this healing? Besides coming back alive. What's so shocking? He touched, they touched the dead body. No Jew was allowed to touch a dead body. What if you touch a dead body? What happens to you? You're defiled. It's total defilement. It's like when Jesus touched the leper. We talked about that. He didn't just touch the leper. He grabbed a hold of him. He embraced the leper. Remember we talked about that? Jesus became unclean. These guys became unclean. Really unclean. They didn't just touch their pinky. They laid on top of the dead body. This is the ultimate unthinkable thing for a prophet of God to do. For any observant Jew to do. But that's what they did. Just like Jesus hugged this leper. It's unthinkable. They became defiled by touching this dead body. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came to totally identify with us and touch us and he became defiled so that we could become clean. He became unclean so that we could become clean. He took our sin on himself. He died on the cross and became a curse in our place so that anything we've ever done or ever will do was put on him. He took it on himself. 
He died so that we could become spiritually alive, so that we could be revived and come back to life spiritually. That's what he did. And he and and not only alive spiritually, but promise of a resurrection someday. Re- re- resurrected to eternal life when we physically die for good. This is the first resurrection. First Kings, then Elisha, second Kings. The first resurrection recorded in the Bible. Did you know that? Not the last one, but it's the first one. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do, to resurrect us spiritually and someday physically. This is a picture of our resurrection. The promise to us, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, death is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's a promise to us. And not just a resurrection when we die, but a new life, a resurrection spiritually, a new life from the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The second that you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. And I repent of that sin. I turn away from that sinful life. I believe he died for me. I put my faith in Jesus, my hope in Jesus, my trust in Jesus. The moment we do that, we are given life. We are revived just like this kid, just like these kids were revived. We are revived spiritually and then promised eternal life someday. When we die physically, someday we're going to be woken up again with a brand new body for eternity to be with God. That's the promise that we have, life we have in Christ. And notice something, Elisha, the second part, when he breathed, he was not doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. That's not what he was doing. When he breathed into the kid's mouth, he was recreating. It was a picture of recreating. The Spirit's breath was coming into him. Remember at creation, what did God do to Adam? He breathed into him and gave him life. And this is a second breathing in that he's showing us. That, But when, when God breathed into Adam and gave him life, he gave him the breath of life, Adam, though, sinned and rebelled against God. And what came in the human race? Death. Death came in. But when Jesus came in human form to die on the cross for us, when he came in human form to die on the cross and pay for our sins, because of that, we now can have life again. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the moment we do that, the Holy Spirit comes into us. This is the promise of Scripture. The, the, the breath, the, the, the Spirit pictures the breath, the, the Spirit comes into us. And we're given a new life. A new life that's breathed into us through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, he defeated, Adam brought death, but Jesus Christ, the second Adam, defeated sin. He's called the second Adam. Defeated death, defeated sin, defeated Satan's power over us. In fact, in Hebrews 2, in Hebrews 2, I'll read uh, verse 14, it says this. Brings it, really brings it out, how he did it. Uh, I'll start halfway through where he says, So that by his death, He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We are freed of Satan's power, freed of death's power. We don't have to fear it anymore. And now we are being recreated. We receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. We become a brand new creature in Christ. But at the same time, as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, we are being recreated in God's image. It's a, a one-time event, and yet the process is, a, is an ongoing event. Uh, Colossians 3 brings it out really well. In Colossians 3, 8, where he start, says this. I, I love this passage. He says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, 
malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Now get this. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We are being renewed in Jesus Christ. You understand that? When the Holy Spirit comes in, it's a renewal process that ends when we get to heaven someday. But, but it's that renewing. It's, it's the whole idea of just as we were created the first time and messed it up, we're being recreated. God's taking that lump of clay and making it into something even better now. It's a spiritual renewal that's happening. As the Holy Spirit fills us, that's what's happening in our life. Wild, isn't it? Have you been resurrected with Jesus Christ? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ and become a new person? You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear sin. We don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to fear anything anymore. We know by putting our faith in Christ, we will be forever with our Father in heaven. Forever. But that life starts now. Do you have that brand new life? John 3.16 tells us how to get it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ and received this brand new life? You can do it today. You can do that right now. You don't need me. You don't need a ritual. You don't need to even be here. You just need faith in Jesus Christ. And as Christians, if we haven't put our faith in Christ, we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to really start living. Because eternal life starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Did you understand that? We don't just put our faith in Jesus to get to heaven someday. We put our faith in Jesus to get a real life now, here and now, and it starts right now. The Holy Spirit comes into us right now, starts recreating us right now. Yeah, the finished product comes later, but it's it, it, immediately. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will become a new creation. A brand new person. Are we, but the key is, as we talked about last week, are we letting the Holy Spirit fill us? Are we letting the Holy Spirit breathe into us? Are we experiencing the daily filling that we talked about last week? If no, then you know what? We need a spiritual tracheotomy. We're suffering. We're, we're asthmatic Christians. You know, asthma. You know, I have several kids with asthma. You know, it's like you can't breathe. Right? You can't breathe. It's, it's hard. You can't do the things you should be doing. Got to get that puffer out. <laughs> I have to do it with several of my kids. I have to do it with several of you. I have to do it with myself all the time. <laughs> because if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us, and we're not letting Him breathe into us, that's what the Ephesians five eighteen talk about. That filling on a daily basis, letting Him fill us. Just like breathing, it's constant, you know, breathing in, letting the Holy Spirit fill us on a constant basis. We're going to talk next week about growing in our faith. We're going to look at Mark chapter 7. Now, this is all the groundwork for Mark chapter 7, 24 to 30. But I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to read that passage, <clears throat> and I want you to study it, and I want you to really be ready for a vital faith lesson that comes about. Now that we understand the foundation of that, there's a vital faith lesson for every one of us. Every day, this lesson is very, very important. The spiritual battles that we're in. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us?
Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever become a new creation? A brand new person? Or are you still dead on the table? Because before Jesus comes in, we're just dead on the table. We're just like that dead child. We're dead, spiritually dead, and facing a lifetime of eternal death. But Jesus came in human form to touch us, to die in our place, to take our sin upon himself, our curse, our defilement upon himself, our crime and the punishment upon himself. And all we have to do is receive that gift by faith. Do you want that life, that eternal life that can start right now? You can have it right where you're sitting. By calling out to God, by praying to him in your heart. Just say, God, I don't want to sin anymore. I repent of my sin. I repent of the old life I've lived. I don't want it. I want to be forgiven. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your son Jesus who came down in human flesh who died on the cross in my place who rose from the dead to prove he was your son. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you God. If you've prayed that prayer, or if you do pray that prayer of faith, something amazing has happened inside of you. You're in for the shock of your life because the Holy Spirit is living in you and life will never be the same. You were dead and now you're alive. Just like that dead child who stood up again, you have now become a brand new person in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've prayed the prayer of faith and taken that step of faith so that we could be excited for you and encourage you and help you grow. But let someone know. If you have a friend or family member or you want to tell me, email me, text me, tell somebody because we're going to be excited for you and we're going to encourage you in your new life in Christ. For those of us who already put our faith in Christ, are we living that life in Christ? Are we limited by breathing problems? Or are we allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us? Really fill us. Through our worship and through the Word and through time with Jesus. Are we allowing His Spirit to really transform us? We're a a new creation in Christ. Are we living out that new life in Christ? Are we allowing something to choke us spiritually or block that breathing passage? What do we need to really pray about and do business with God about so that next week we'll be ready for a huge step of faith forward? Father, I pray that every time we take a breath, a deep breath this week, we would remember that we need to breathe spiritually. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us spiritually and whatever's keeping us from growing in our faith. Pray for your Spirit's conviction that we respond. And Lord, if anybody is, is wrestling with faith this morning, I pray that each person here would know for sure they're alive in Jesus Christ. Pray that in Jesus' name.